daily surrender to that power, which is in charge of my life and my sobriety. Uh, June 23rd, 1988 was my separation from alcohol. Very grateful to be a recovered member of this sacred fellowship. And as a recovered member, I have a, a responsibility to uphold the traditions as well as the tradition of Alcoholics Anonymous to understand and learn about our humble beginnings to where we are tonight. Um, and before, I will tell you, before this uh, pandemic hit, if you were like me, you know, you go to any meeting you want, any time of the day you want, and you kind of take that for granted and uh, just move on to the next meeting or maybe perhaps with your home group. And that was taken away from all of us and uh, uh, how much we appreciate something when it's not there. And so um, I'm going to continue as God would see fit to chop wood and carry water and be a member of Good Standing and Alcoholics Anonymous. Uh, June of 88 uh, was my separation. And uh, like many things in my journey in Alcoholics Anonymous, I didn't see God coming. I didn't see freedom coming. And how many times was it how dark before the dawn? Um, very often, uh, God's light is uh, nothing but darkness to my mind, and I can never see what he's about to do. And over the years, God has moved me, literally moved me from state to state and moved me emotionally, moved me spiritually. And I would always like check with God, do you realize what you're doing? Are you paying attention to my life? I didn't give you permission to do this. And uh, But we live life forward and understand it backwards. And when I finally arrive where God wants me to arrive, I usually take credit for the whole thing. Um, I, I, I thank him for it. So this journey in recovery, you know, when I, I first got sober and I, I would hear uh, some of the folks share, um, they would talk about their drunken log, what it was like, and they just give a little sprinkling of what it was like now, what was happening now, and everything was great. So I just figured... I was drunk and everything's going to be great. I remember going to an anniversary when I was a meeting when I was new and um, I, I heard some guy tell a story and he said when he was new, he went to a meeting reluctantly and uh, people were talking about since I've been an A, I got a car, since I've been an A, I got a new relationship, since I've been an A, I got a promotion. And when he got home, he said, his wife said, how was the meeting? So I'm going back. He said, I'll come. They're giving away stuff in Alcoholics Anonymous. So uh, I didn't learn about the, the valleys and the peaks um, that I was about to go through. I live in a world of impermanence. Sometimes life just is unfair and it hurts. And I need a GPS to navigate through that. But what I have found out as I awaken spiritually, little by slowly, that the valleys aren't so deep and they're further and further apart. And the reason why that happens is because of awakening in the spirit. We get to experience a personality change sufficient to bring about recovery from alcoholism which means I'm no longer living in the head. And when I'm living in the head, when I'm living in the mind, I am traveling heavy and everything is a threat. False evidence appearing real. I, I know what this is like because I'm seeing the world through the mind. I'm hearing the world through the mind. I'm speaking to you through the mind and all my actions are through the mind, which means everything's a threat. I'm uncertain. I'm doubtful. I'm skepticism. I'm fear-based, insecure, and my ego could fill up a stadium. That's traveling from the mind and I'm never okay. And so what I have found out that Alcoholics Anonymous is not a journey of the mind but one of awakening of the spirit. 
it's really interesting in step two, I show up to step two with a lot of stuff, a lot of anger, a lot of fear, a lot of trauma, a lot of jealousy, a lot of stuff. And by the time I get to 10 and 11, when our book says we enter the world of the spirit, I have just as much God in 10 and 11 as I did going into step two with all the stuff. The difference is all the stuff is gone. Most of it's gone because the process of recovery is removal. It's never addition. So everything I need to do this journey, I already have. I just wake up to the, that this power is closer than my own breath. And by removing them four through nine, the wedge, if you will, gets removed. And there I am standing in the presence of my God. It was always there. And I made the mistake like a lot of youngins when they come in, when we would talk about, I have this hole in the soul. I feel empty. And the default button says, go get stuff to fill it up. Jump into that relationship. Get that promotion. Get more money. Get a call. Get all the stuff. And it feels really good for a while. But then I need more stuff. And external conditions are always a liability to help me get better. They're never an asset. And so the less I have, when I'm down to nothing, I get the, the, the abundance of God. It's when I'm depending upon other stuff. I'm not experiencing God because that stuff is God. My car is God. My job is God. My relationship is God. How could I serve God when I'm a slave to all these other gods? And I'm wondering why in Alcoholics Anonymous, I'm not okay and I have double-digit sobriety. I feel really spiritual when my checking account looks really fat and I feel like a loser when it isn't. What a horrible way to live. I feel really good when I get approval from everyone and then I don't feel so good when no one says hello to me. My whole day hinges on external conditions. That's insanity and that's selfish. And when I do that, I start to harm other people directly and indirectly. And what I have is untreated alcoholism. And that's been my experience because even though I've learned, and again, I've learned a lot of this stuff by hearing your stories and most of it by my own mistakes. That we can become awakened beings in Alcoholics Anonymous. We can become spiritual beings in Alcoholics Anonymous. But I never need to lose sight of the fact that I will always be a human being subject to break down at any moment. And what I mean by breaking down is not a drink, although I'm an alcoholic and a drink is somewhere, has a name on it somewhere. Breaking down means I get hooked into whatever my mind tells me. And because they're my thoughts, they have power. So therefore, they are true. That's when I break down. I can't tell you how many Saturday evenings I'm home in my, home, in my house here with someone I adore. She's in the next room. The rent is paid. The bills are paid. The job is okay. And I'm doing laundry on a Saturday night. And I am blissful about this because in June of 88, I was a homeless bum. I lived in an abandoned building and I'm folding clothes and I can hear, I can smell dinner being prepared. It's a great night. It's a wonderful night. But if I'm in my head, I'm folding laundry and calling myself a loser. I should be somewhere doing something. Gratitude, that kind of gratitude that when God downloads gratitude to us, that's in the soul. 
very often I hear, you know, and by loving people, we tell youngins, we tell new people, bring the body and the mind will follow. Well, you know, the last thing I need is anyone's mind showing up anywhere in my state of Florida. Just leave it outside. Why would I tell a young person, bring the body and the mind will follow and the mind is causing all their problems. I hear people say, I'm so angry with Joe, I'm going to go down there and give Joe a piece of my mind. And I tell them, give Joe the whole mind. You really don't need it. Because it's when we're out of our minds, we experience God's presence. When we're out of our minds, we stand in the sunlight of the spirit. When I'm in my mind, I don't have any of those things going on. I'm dark. I'm angry. I'm restless. I'm irritable. I'm discontented. June 23rd, 1988, I, I come to again in the back of this abandoned building where I was living for quite some time. I had been on the streets for far too long, as far as I'm concerned. It was months and months I was out on the street panhandling and doing a lot of, you know, uh, uh, ugly things to, to get money to get whiskey. And um, I had a bout with narcotics in the past. And at the end, the last few years, it was always alcohol. And I, I landed with just me and alcohol. And if I was able to get more money, I'd eat, I'd eat pills. I used to like to eat Valley. And back in the day, it was a hot pill on the street. And I would go to any lengths to panhandle and hustle, do whatever I had to do, because I needed to get alcohol in me. In 1988, I didn't have the luxury of getting drunk every few days. That doesn't make me more of an alcoholic or less of an alcoholic, it's just my story. And in this particular day when I came to and I was pretty beaten up physically, but what got my attention, and I've heard the stories over the years, what gets most of, most of us is the emotional bottom, whether it's Park Avenue or Park Bench. It's that thing that goes off in the soul when our truth shows up and the truth will find me. I always thought I had to find the truth. Didn't recover. I need to find the, the truth will find me. And it did on June 23rd, 1988. It's a day where desperation screamed louder than the ego for the first time in God knows how long. And that <clears throat> has happened to me many times in Alcoholics Anonymous where desperation screams louder than the ego. And I thought if I, if I get help and get this stuff out of me, I'm going to be okay. And what I find out and my experience has been that my alcoholism doesn't come in a bottle of whiskey. My alcoholism is right up here in the head. Because when I finally went into my seventh treatment center and I went through the detox process, and I'm sitting in the treatment center again, and I'm off to a, something called a halfway house, I'm still not okay. I got 90 days and I'm not okay. And almost six months of the day, I was going to drink again because I was not okay being sober. I don't like being sober and dry, if you follow me on this. I love being sober with spiritual muscles because if I'm just dry, dry as tumbleweed and I'm sober, I need something to deal with that kind of pain because I don't do life well. I can't live life on life's terms. I fail miserably. I need to accept life on life's terms and live it on his terms. But when I'm trying to do life without any spiritual muscles, it's hurting again. I'm traveling heavy. The noises in the head are waking up. All the voices are talking all at once, and they all demanding certain things. And right in the middle of that is we need a double vodka now to deal with all of this stuff. I'm not okay. But yet, when we get, when I get spiritually fit and start working out in the AA gym, 
I love being sober. I love the effect produced by sobriety. I love the effect produced by A. I love the effect produced by God. I, I, I live down here, way down in South Florida. Robert knows the area really well. We're bombarded with treatment centers, which is wonderful. These folks get a chance to get better. But somewhere, they go from treatment to don't drink and go to CrossFit. And if you get a really good body and a good tan, suddenly you're Moses. And I'm watching people crash and burn. You know, get into that hot relationship. Look at me. I'm in love. It's great. We know each other. We're both 20 days sober, but it's going to work. And then we crash and burn. And every once in a while, you get the one who's really desperate, has no time for that, only has time for God to get better in Alcoholics Anonymous. And that same cat is sponsoring people with 90 days because they're in the book and the book will take me to God. It's a vehicle to God. And I say that for some youngins out there. Don't fall into the trap, you know. Jog, that's good enough. You don't need to be have the best body in your first year. You need to have really good spiritual muscles. And so when we go to the gym, because I, I, I'm a bit of a fitness person, and it'd be really interesting if I told my better half, Marion, I really want to get in shape. And I paid a lot of money and joined some health club. And I got there early, and I stayed late. And all I did was walk around, introduce myself to people, start helping the, 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 the gym people. And I knew where the towels were. I knew where the refreshments were. And after 90 days, I know how all the equipment works. I'm telling people how to use the equipment, but I haven't even opened up an envelope in 90 days. And after 90 days on day 91, I'm in worse shape than the time I started. And I resent all those other people who look better than me because I didn't work out in the gym, which is why I went there. So if I come to Alcoholics Anonymous, what do I need to do? Bill uses words like vigorous. That's a workout. I need to be doing something in here. And God has given me, has given us the ability, the endurance, the patience to do this work because it is life and death. My alcoholism gets a life by taking one, and it's mine. My alcoholism gets a life by taking one and it has no mercy there's a price for me not taking the steps going on to the bitter end once again and if i always do what i always did i'll always get what i always got and it's a price for taking the steps it means destruction of self-centeredness in short pete marinelli who showed up in june of 88 to the doors of alcoholics anonymous had to go that guy had to die off the death of self is successful living. And I will tell you on most days, he's dormant. He's in the next room, just waiting to get in there and start talking. And he has a few times. Lay off of inventory, lay off a call and sponsor, back off a meeting, back off of helping other people. And he starts to stretch and come alive again. And then he wants to take over because that's the guy who wants to get me drunk. That's the guy who wants to ruin my life. So there's a price for taking the steps. Everything has to change. How willing am I to change when I got here? Am I willing to have a complete transformation? And many times along the journey, it says, look, I love what this person has to offer, but was I willing to do what they did? Yeah. The desperation of a drowning man. I had to come to terms with that this is spiritual life, spiritual death. To drink is to die. And for me, it came on June 23rd, 1988. Uh, I had no plans of being a member of AA. I just didn't want to drink because I knew that was the pain. I didn't want this life anymore. 
I had the moment of clarity, aha moment, that I'm a drunken bummer living in an abandoned building. How did I get here? I weighed about 130 pounds at the time. I'm running around with hepatitis C. I got a couple of abscesses uh, that were in bad shape on my arm. I'm urinating blood. I got construction boots on, the right boots missing the front. I got bloodstained soil pants on, and I'm cold and sweating at the same time because I'm going through withdrawal. And if it was up to my mind, it would tell me, you'll be fine. Don't worry about it. Just have a drink. We'll figure out how not to drink anymore. I don't know if you can identify with that, but going to the liquor store and buying a jug and say, okay, I'm going to stop. I'm going to have a few drinks and figure out how this is going to stop because I had to drink. I remember my sponsor, Mark H., bless his heart, would ask me a question. He says, were you involved in your last relapse? And I said, of course I was. He said, keep coming back. See, I was there. I went to the liquor store. I bought the bottle of whiskey. I put, I put my hand in my pocket and put the money out. But there was no involvement. Alcohol's and grabbed me by the throat and says, we're drinking. And I couldn't think to drink through, play the tape to the end, keep it green, remember I come from, because that's all self-reliance and self-will. That's step one condition. That's step one problem. My mind doesn't take me to that pain. My mind doesn't take me to the torment. My mind takes me to, don't worry about it. See, what my mind wants me to do, will always do, I should say, is I will settle for any consequence tomorrow to seek comfort right now. Over and over and over again. And what step two is, is a, as a way out, a point out of all this insanity. For years, I thought step two, step one was out of insanity. Once I admit I'm powerless over alcohol, my list manageable, I'm out of insanity. No, it's just begun. Because you take the drink away from me, I'm more loony than when I'm drinking. See, when I'm drinking, I'm pretty predictable. I drink, I get drunk. I might cry, I might pass out, and I'll always borrow money off you. I'm very, very predictable. It's when I'm not drinking and I'm sober, anything's possible. I have nothing to pour on my alcoholism. And so step two is a pointer out of all this misery, all this insanity, all this repeating the same thing over, expecting different results. All this, the beginning, although I wasn't there yet, of stop pointing the finger at everyone else to blame and start holding a mirror up to me. And that's step four. But I had to begin somewhere. And so my book lays out 43 pages plus doctor's opinion as to what I'm up against in step one, because it is that important that have a body, mind, and spirit problem. Well, once I get out of a treatment center, I don't have a body problem right now. I'm not drinking alcohol. My body's going to be as sober as it could possibly be. Once I'm detox and I have no post-acute withdrawal stuff going on, my body's sober. The mind's another problem. The mind gets frustrated by God. The mind gets frustrated by 12 steps. The mind gets frustrated by stillness. And the mind needs to drink because it can't deal with what's out there. And the spirit seems like it's in another area code. How far away is God? And then one day we wake up and the, the aha moment that God's closer to me than my own breath and always has been, except I was looking out there instead of going in. The old timers blessed our hearts. They used to say it's an inside job. And I didn't know what they meant until the sponsor took me to the steps. So on page 45 in the big book, Alcoholics Anonymous, in chapter We Agnostics, I get introduced to step two. 
And for me, the most powerful line, again, I speak for myself, the most powerful line in my big book, in the first portion of the book, is lack of power is my dilemma. That's my problem. I don't have the power. I've been using my power, and it is not working. Based on what I've done thus far in my life, when I show up to AA, it's not turning out good. My mind's not convinced of that, but the soul knows it. Lack of power is my dilemma. So with power, no dilemma. Well, where am I going to find this power? And what, you know, Bill, that book, Bill authored the book, but God gave the book to Bill because it's just too perfect. It's too precise. Because what he lays out for a suspicious, skeptical, chronic alcoholic like me, who has doubt and anger towards God, he tells me how to find God, where to find God, and why to find God in chapter 10 Agnostics. And for me, my first conception of this God, I'm a, I'm a cradle Catholic. I was brought up Catholic. I never had a problem with the carpenter. But this czar of the heaven seemed a little out there. This word they referred to as heaven, it seemed like Disney cartoons. And I looked at a lot of the calamities mostly within my head about this God, and I wasn't so sure. And if there was a God, why did it allow me to linger like I did and wind up in an abandoned building and lose contact with people that I love like my family, and that brought me to hating them for a while? Where is God and all of that? So I used a G-O-D, a group of drunks, for good orderly direction, because there was power in numbers, there was unity in the numbers, and that was you, Alcoholics Anonymous. I felt safe when I was sitting in a meeting of Alcoholics Anonymous. And so I go from meeting to meeting to meeting. And the group of drunks, the G.O.D., was giving me good orderly direction. You are my God. Now, no human power could relieve me of my alcoholism, but what my sponsor always reminded me of, that I was willing to believe in something other than myself. That's a home run. And over and over and over again, my big book tells me about willingness, willingness, willingness. Am I willing to be transformed? And so my sponsor at the time was in the deep end of the pool with the, with the diving board, and I'm in the little uh, kitty end of the pool with the little floats on my arm in the foot of water, but we're in the same water. And eventually I would float and swim over to the deep end of the pool and show the young and how to get there as well. And back and forth we go. And I started out in the kitty end of the pool, but it was okay because I was willing to get in. I was willing to be changed. Recovery is not that difficult. My mind makes it into trigonometry. I've gone to many, many workshops and I hear people taking apart this book and I'm wondering, are they reading a, a math formula or are they reading the big book? Because our book says God doesn't make too hard terms for us. And yet we can complicate the heck out of this and thinking because it sounds so deep, it's profound and very often profound things aren't that deep at all. God wants, God, God needs to talk to his kids. He's going to make it in simple language. The difficult part is my perceptions and conceptions towards God. Nothing with God towards me. The difficulty is my mind starts to get a hold of this information and tries to tweak it. In chapter two, Agnostics, it says, when we talk about God, difficulty arises in the alcoholic. There's no difficulty with God towards his kids. It's me towards God. Was I willing to lay that aside? And how do I find this God? Lay aside old ideas. 
even if they were 100% right, the book's not getting into right and wrong. It's just, just put them aside to make room for new. I have a, a few bookshelves in this room here. And every once in a while, I get a couple of new books. Now, the top shelf is full. If I want to put a book in the top shelf, I take an old book and move it on the next shelf to make room. I lay it aside. And that's what they're asking us to do. Make room for a new experience. It's that simple. Where do I find this God? It's been with me all along. Bill uses the words like the great reality. He's referring to God. That's God deep down in the soul. It's just been covered up by me and my external stuff, my money, property, and prestige issues, my fears, my resentments, my sex conduct, all the fourth step stuff. You know what's unbelievable? I, I was thinking of this not too long ago. And I'm sure one of my sponsors told me this, I don't recall, but civilians, even us, most folks know who they're angry with and exactly why. You know, oh, my mother-in-law, oh, my father-in-law, oh, my Uncle Joe, oh, my boss, oh, my kid, whatever it is, they know who they're angry with and exactly why. And that's as far as most of us ever get. And we bang that around for years. That's repeating the same thing over, expecting different results. Joe, how long have you been at, mad at Mary for? Oh, it's about 40 years now. What are we going to do about this? You've been drinking your life away because of one resentment towards Mary. Maybe we should push this a little bit. That's a form of insanity. All wrongdoing comes from the mind. If the mind is transformed, what wrongdoing can exist? Why is it that one? Because seeing is believing in step two. Over time, we live life forward, understand it backwards. When we look, we say, oh, my God, look how far God has taken me. Why is it that one time in my life, if I saw a pint of whiskey, my mouth would water? I need to have it. And now if there's a pint of whiskey, and I, it doesn't affect me. I'm not that good. I'm not that smart. I'm not that sharp. But God could and would if he was sought because he's great. So my book tells me where to find God. It tells me how to find God, and it tells me why. When I saw others solving their problems upon a simple reliance upon the spirit of the universe, I got to stop doubting the power of God. So I knew, and I was living in Minnesota. God bless the folks in Minnesota. They saved my life. They put me back together. And they took me to a meeting called the Three Legacies meeting on a Friday night. And I walk into this meeting, and everyone suited up. All the women are dressed proper. Everyone seemed to be proper. Huh? And there's about 300 people at this meeting. And I'm looking at how they're carrying themselves and what they're talking about. And to a person, whether it was over a cup of coffee when they would take me to the diner or the speakers themselves, at some point, every one of them said, but for the grace of God, I'm sober. I love my God. Relationship with God is the most important relationship in my life. When I saw that, how could I doubt the power of God working in other people's lives? 
Even with my skepticism and doubt, and I walk into a meeting of Alcoholics Anonymous, whether it's 10 in there or 300, or you go to the international and 55,000 people are saying the Lord's Prayer together, and I got two days back, how could I deny this great power called God? And if, and if I allow me to get on a soapbox, what we ought to be in Alcoholics Anonymous is a pep rally for this power called God and shout God from the rooftops about he, we get reborn and resurrected in the sacred rooms called Alcoholics Anonymous. And too often we're putting God in a closet because we're afraid of scaring people out and people are dying because of that. What my sponsor had me do was write out where I believe God was working in my life at the time and where I had doubt that he was working in my life. And I would write that down. And all my doubts was my current agnosticism, which meant I had unmanageability and fear and self-reliance. How does, how does step two meet some of us who are sober a bunch of years and have gone through the work? How does step two even apply? It says, came to believe that a power greater than myself could restore me to sanity. I'm going to get, it's an arrival place. I will be brought to this place of sanity, wholeness of mind, truth in the solution, oneness with God. How does that meet me if I'm sober 10, 15, 20, 30 years when I've been through the steps and by outward appearances, everything's okay? All I have to do is go to the bedevilments on page 52 because I get to look at my current unmanageability, which says we were having trouble in person relationships. That trouble is never out there. The trouble in person relationships is always in here. You know, I think about John or Mary and I get a little tension. I see John or Mary walk into the room and I feel a little tight. That's a trouble in personal relationship. You know, the, the left is doing it wrong, the right is doing it wrong, the president's doing it wrong, the vice president is wrong, the senator's doing it wrong, my home group's doing it wrong, my teacher's doing it wrong, my parents are doing it. This is all we do all day long. That's trouble in personal relationships. They're not talking about having a spat with your significant other. They're talking about I having trouble. Have you ever done this? I know I've done it. You sit on the couch and you look around, you say, I'm good, health is good, money's good. House is good, the kids are good, the wife is good, the car is good, the neighbor is good, the weather is good, everything's good, good. And then the mind says, you know you're going to be 61. How many years do you think you got left? Or the mind will say, everything's good. Remember that time in the third grade when Joe beat you up? Remember the time when she left you and suddenly nothing's good and the kids are in the way, the house is in the way, the wife's in the way, everything's in the way. And I'm not good again. That's when I live in the head. Do I want to be taken past that? It says trouble in personal relationship. Can't control my emotional nature. Pray to misery and depression. It's because everything hinges on everything outside of me. Because that internal problem again. I've gone anemic in the spiritual journey. Maybe I'm not praying. Maybe I'm not writing inventory. Maybe I'm only checking in with my sponsor. I'm not transparent with the sponsor. Other things have become more important than sobriety. It's lost its priority. Yeah. And so page 52 talks about these bedevilments. And I didn't even know what a bedevilment was when I showed up to Alcoholics Anonymous. I, I never went to college. Well, I spent about 10 minutes in college and decided to get drunk and I quit college. So that, that was my college career. So a word like bedevilment, I, I don't know what that means. And my sponsor says, well, we didn't have computers at the time. You should get a dictionary. And a bedevilment is something that torments, frustrates, and harasses me. 
Now, if I had a neighbor who was tormenting me, frustrating me, and harassing me, I'd move or call 911. And yet when it comes to what the mind is doing, I invite it over for dinner, over and over and over again, believing that today's going to be different. It says we couldn't control our emotional nature, prey to misery and depression, um, couldn't make a living. Well, I might be working, I might be making a good living, but I hate what I do for a living. Or if you poll the people at work, they will tell you this guy's not a good guy at work. I come to AA to pretend I'm a spiritual giant and I'm Moses, but if you follow me back to the job, I don't look like I'm in even AA meetings. Or perhaps I need a job, but I'm watching soap operas all day expecting to be a CEO at the end of the week. You know, how am I doing with that? Had a feeling of uselessness, full of fear, unhappy, and couldn't seem to be a real help to other people. I have visited some of those places over the years. They're not fun. It's called bondage of self. And what's really frightening is, you know, if we're sober a little while and we hit that place, I'm having trouble all up in the head, the calamity in the head. I'm not doing okay. I don't like what I do for a living. I'm full of fear. Fear has taken over again. I'm seeing everything as, as, as a threat to me. I'm not okay again. And so what I tend to do is try to get more stuff or work even harder rather than just letting it all go and surrendering everything to God and letting him run the show. He's been so patient with me. I need to be patient with him. And so step two was this arrival. At some point, I will come to believe, come to believe that a power greater than myself could restore me to sanity. Then it starts to look like this for me. He has restored me to sanity. Again, God could and would if he sought. God can and has restored me to sanity. I'm sure of it based on looking at my life, based on my time away from a drink, based on my relationship with God. God could and has restored me to sanity a day at a time. And I say that because the same way I can go through the steps, I can begin to go backwards through the steps. Step 10 delivers the promise with, with sanity because it says sanity has returned. We're placed in a position of charity, safe and protected. I will tell you, because of this AA and this loving God, I haven't thought about a drink or any other mood or mind-altering substance in a really long time. But I know, fool, that stuff is always thinking about me all the time. And somewhere in some flea bag bar, there's a double vodka or a Jack and Coke with my name on it. And it's not far away. It's just a matter of me going backwards through the steps and believing I'm God again, and I'm in control of my life. And I have a choice today, and it goes on and on and on, and suddenly life becomes my master, and the only way to combat that is to hit the old default button that says drink now. I'm an alcoholic. Step one says I'm drinking. It doesn't care what I do for a living. It doesn't care my color, my, my religion. It doesn't care how much money I have. It doesn't care. It cares about one thing. Pete, you're drinking. And the only defense is God. And so step three, you know, it, it, how it works is, it, what a great piece of information. It says how it works. <laughs> I, I go to a lot of meetings, I hear somebody say, I don't know how it works, but I know it does. I want to scream across the room, go to page 58, it says how it works. It says rarely have we seen a person fail who has thoroughly followed our path. Fail at what? 
sobriety and God consciousness. It says I have a grave emotional and mental disorder. And I, I, I'll tell you, man, for years when I saw that, I thought it was people who are on medications. I says, how wonderful was Bill in our big book? They're writing something for people with grave emotional mental disorders. Perhaps they're on psych meds and have emotional unbalanced stuff going on. And my sponsor, I can't repeat what he said because there's women in the room, but he says, they're talking about you. You're mentally ill. You have a grave emotional mental disorder. You're an alcoholic. Your mind will take you back to that which is killing you for, for any other reason then no reason at all, just let's get drunk. That's a grave emotional mental disorder. <clears throat> I was a chronic relapser for a long time. That's a grave emotional mental disorder. How many times in sobriety, I kept doing the same thing over, expecting different results. That's a grave emotional mental disorder. Page 62 tells me exactly what I'm up against going into step three, the considerations. It says selfish, self-centered, selfish, dis let me read it for you, because I just forgot it for a second, hold on. I don't want to screw this up, it's too important. Here it is. Selfish, self-centeredness, that we think is the root of our troubles. I'm driven by a hundred forms of fear, self-delusion, self-seeking, and self-pity. There's a lot of self going on. But there's only one God. And if I'm in self, I'm playing God. If I'm in God, if I'm one with God, I'm traveling light. It says, I step on the toes of my fellows and they retaliate, seemingly without provocation. But eventually I find out that I hurt you. That's why you push back. But I can't see that. I'm an extreme example of self-will run riot, but I don't think so. A buddy of mine would say, you can't see your own ears, Pete. I can't see my own illness. You can, you can hear it. And when you confront me, I push right back. I'm selfish to the core. It's always about me all the time. This is untreated alcoholism. I had to quit playing God. It didn't work. And many times when I write inventory, I'm taking a look at how often I've been playing God throughout the day. Am I willing to live by someone else's rules, play by someone else's rules, because I'm about to make a decision to turn my will and my life over to care of a God as I currently understand them. My thinking and my actions, what that has translated into me 32 years after the first time I did this step. Because I'm one of those guys who go through the steps once a year for, for many years now. What this has translated into me is this. God wants my soul. He gave it to me in the first place. He needs it back to tweak it and give it back to me once again. And somehow when God gets the soul and repairs it, we are what we call enlightened and spiritual and always human, but we're traveling different. Perceptions and conceptions to change about everything. And suddenly there's a hunger for God greater than ever. I practice fidelity to God and I put nothing before that. How free do I want to be? Am I willing to travel a uh, play by someone else's rules other than my own? Back to step one. I'll do anything. When I'm going through step four and I'm balking back to step one, what happened to any lens? When I can't make amends and my sponsor showed me how to do this and I'm just stalling out again, 
Back to step one, when I was willing to do anything. Back to step one, Father, please, the willingness to go to any lengths. I surrender everything to you. And step three, that's exactly what I'm doing here. I'm surrendering the mess I made and giving it back to God. Like a kid who breaks a toy and can't fix it, gives it back to mama to repair it. But he's going to do it in his way, in his time, and put me out on a course that he's chosen. See, very often my mind had a course that was taking me down. It was a good one. It was a rewarding one. It was a popular one. It was financially rewarding as well. And I'm saying, there we go. I'm going to go on this road. And that is the exact road taking me further and further away from the road God had me on. So am I willing to get to this power? Am I willing to make this decision to get to this power? And page 62 and the top of 63 talks about it. He's the father, I'm the child. He's the employer, I work for God. He's the principal, I'm the director. He's the principal, I'm the agent. What's really unbelievable about that. He's the principal, I'm the agent. An agent represents the principal. My book is telling me we're about to go out and represent God in all we do. Am I willing to live along these terms? In the third step, on page 63, I'm going to try to get this out of here before I'm out of time here. On page 63, it says, when we sincerely took this position, all sorts of remarkable things followed. I had a new employer being all powerful. He provided what I needed. If I keep close to him, perform his work well. God's going to give me what I need. And I look over all these years I've been sober. God always gave me what I needed. And perform his work well. I thought I had to make miracles. The best way to start is just live in all three sides of the triangle. I'm going to meetings. I'm going through the steps. And I'm being of service to everyone. God's pleased. That's performing his work well. I don't need to speak in tongues. I don't need to learn Latin. I don't need to, you know, part the seas. Just start with the three sides of the triangle. It says he'll provide me what I need. Here's the problem. The mind starts to talk and wants more than God's giving. And that's when I brush up against my will and God's will. That'll happen from time to time. It also says, as we felt new power flow in, this is so key. As I feel new power flow in, the reason why I'm feeling new power flow in is because I've been out of power for a long time. I don't have power. Agnostic says lack of power. It says if we keep close to him, performers work well. Keep close to him. I don't need to go out there and get close to God. What happened to me is I woke up to the fact that, oh, my God, my God is close to me. And I just got to shadow God. Like a, like a child, you know, going to the amusement park with their parent. They hold the hand and stay close. They didn't have to find their parent. They didn't have to invent the parent. It was always there. And for me, it was a matter of, oh, my God, it's God. Let me stay close. And how do I do that? Perform his work well. Go to meetings, help others go through the steps. God will do for me what I can't do for myself. I don't have to make myself spiritual. Everyone's spiritual. We're born to be saints. Everyone has the DNA in them. The drunk under a bridge, the crack in a, the crack in a crack house right now has just as much God in them as I do tonight and anyone else in his room. One awakens to it and one doesn't. So I made a decision, really out of desperation. And how I did the first third step is how I've done all of them.
on my knees, holding my sponsor's hand and reciting the third step prayer. But I must confess, the first time I did the third step was in a town called Brooklyn, New York, a little rough. Um, we change how it works and how you're doing. Um, it was a little rough. And my sponsor had me in his house. The lights were dim. There were some candles going. And we both got on our knees and he held hands and he closed his eyes. And he said, close your eyes. I kept one eye open just in case. I was a little suspicious. And we did the third step prayer. So what has happened is over the years, our book says, next. We got up off our knees. They all reminded me your life is no longer any of your business. See, the third step is a beautiful prayer, but if I don't follow with four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, I just said a beautiful prayer, and that's about it. Because my book reminds me that this can have a permanent effect if I follow through with the rest of the work. See, I'm going to God and say, God, my life is in shambles. I'm willing to give it back to you to fix, yeah? And so God says, okay, you hold my hand. We're going to go up in the attic. Well, all it's kind of creepy up there. I'm going to turn on the lights and I'm going to show you what's in the way. They're called resentments, fears, and sex conduct. The principles and institutions you're having problems with. That's all the stuff that's in the way. I would never go up there alone, but he's going to take me and turn on a light. And he's going to throw everything out. And that's what I'm willing to have happen to be stripped down to the raw in order to get free. This is next we lost on the course of vigorous action. And so in closing, I'll tell you, you know, how do I do step three during the day? How often am I willing to, wanting to play God during the day? How many times do I pray before I go into an event or pray before I go into work or pray before I go into a board meeting or pray before I go out to dinner? This is your deal, God. You show me what role to play. Let me represent you the best I can. Because my sponsor always reminds me that you pray before you do this. So in the morning, besides our serenity prayer and seven-step prayer, and I love our Lord's prayer, I always say the third-step prayer. It's just a centering prayer. I'm not commanding the Spirit to do anything, but I'm in position to be changed by this power. And so for me, the third step is about getting up off my knees after I do it with the sponsor, getting a pen, getting a notepad, and starting step four. And then things will start to shift. And we get free. We get free. We get free in the sacred rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous. That's all I got, guys. Peace.